If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and find with me the New Testament book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, hold your place there for a moment. Uh, as in just a few minutes, we're going to continue in a series we've been in at First Baptist Church called Faces in the Crowd. Uh, this morning, we uh, still in that series, we considered the thief on the cross and the very explicit and simple truth that only by the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection can a person be forgiven and have eternal life and have a home in heaven. It just boils away all the pretense and puts it right in front of us that it's trusting Christ as our Savior. The thief was the face in the crowd, and this morning we're going to look at a different face in the crowd and acknowledge that God's, uh, to, we can be the right person for God's purpose anytime in God's plan and direction when we are faithful to follow Christ. But hold your place there for just a minute. Uh, this past February, Maryland Police Officer Annette Goodyear uh, was serving as a crossing guard at a middle school, as she so faithfully does and enjoys doing, when uh, she was standing in the crosswalk, and uh, there's a video of her online. It shows her put her hand up because there's a car coming, and she flags a student, just one student, toward her to come across the road. The car coming does not stop. And as the student passes by, she realizes the car is not going to stop, and Officer Goodyear pushes the student out of the way, and the car strikes Officer Goodyear and knocks her to the ground, hit by a car, so the student wouldn't be hit by a car. Thankfully, she was not seriously injured. She went to the hospital, was released shortly thereafter, and went to the student's home to talk to her and her parents, and they shared a tearful embrace. Uh, and the media interviewing Officer Goodyear uh, also acknowledged her heroism, as all of Maryland has since then. But it's interesting what Dr. Goodyear said, excuse me, Officer Goodyear said, uh, she said simply, I was glad I was in the right place at the right time. Right person, right place, right time. And that applies often to Christians as well. You know, the Bible teaches that if you are faithfully following Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're faithfully following Christ, you can be God's right person for his purpose at the right time. Because God knows what he is doing in your life. We're going to see one of those kinds of people this morning. A person often overlooked but, but significant and integral to what happened at the, at the tomb that day, the resurrection itself. In fact, I would offer, and you'll see what I mean, that the resurrection will be a different story if it were not for the faithfulness of this one individual, this face in the crowd. We meet him one time in the Bible, but history records his significance because he was God's right person for God's purpose at the right time. Throughout the Bible, we are told over and over that, that this is going to happen. Christ will come, and he will be arrested, and he will die, and he will be buried, and he will be raised from the grave. So it's not surprising that when that happened, as part of the gospel, that Christians early in the first century, Christians taught one another a basic creed. They actually memorized the gospel in just a couple of short verses, and the Apostle Paul embeds this creed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 3, Paul writes, For I passed on to you as most important what I received. That is, this is what I was told when I became a Christian. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. 
Now, you may have read that a hundred times. You may be very familiar with it and used to it, but, but if so, you may easily gloss over or pass by one of the most significant statements in that creed that the early Christians memorized, and it is in verse 4, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Why include something so mundane that he was buried? Why bother memorizing that? Well, it's really pretty simple because the burial verifies the death and you have to have a death to have a resurrection. So the earliest Christians learned this from memory. They always included that Christ was buried and then raised on the third day because you've got to have a burial if you have a death and you've got to have a death to have a resurrection. It all goes together. This morning, we're going to look at the person, the face in the crowd, that made it possible for that to be fulfilled, for Christ to be buried. His name is Joseph of Arimathea, and his story is recorded in Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 50. Not much else is known about him, not much else is said, but we're going to probe into his life just a little bit this morning as we discover the way God works through faithful people, right people for God's purposes. We're going to start reading at verse 50 of chapter 23 of the Gospel of Luke, but then we're going to go ahead and read forward through the wonderful event, past the story of Joseph, into the wonderful event of the resurrection. So we have that in our minds. And by the way, this is helpful anyway because uh, chapters and verses were added later when Christians were studying the Word of God to help us preach and study God's Word. So the way we're going to read it this morning is how it was written without that chapter break or that Pause. So look there with me, Luke chapter 23 and verse 50, this is what the Bible says. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had not agreed with their plan of action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and he was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned, and they prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. All four of the Gospels in the New Testament record the story of Joseph of Arimathea. And because they all record the story, they give us little other different details, give us different input about him and his life. Luke gives us the most detailed account, but still we can draw from Matthew. We can learn a bit more about him. For example, the name Joseph of Arimathea means he was from the town of Arimathea. Uh, this is how they designated which Joseph he was in a world in which the name Joseph was very popular, much like it is today. He was from a small Judean town near Jerusalem called Arimathea. And Matthew tells us he was quite wealthy, quite well off and quite wealthy. And they all tell us he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now this is a very important point. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish court of law. Uh, they were designated to oversee legal cases 
related to the law of Moses. They could pass judgment on Jews who, who broke the law. And Joseph of Arimathea was a member of that Sanhedrin. So we know that. We know he was wealthy. We know he's from this small town of Arimathea. And we also know that he was a follower of Christ. Secretly, privately, the Gospels tell us. But somewhere along the line, he had decided to follow Christ. And that's why also we know that, as we just read it, he disagreed with his own legal body, the Sanhedrin, on the judgment they passed on Jesus of Nazareth, that is, to send Jesus to the Romans to be executed. He disagreed with that. But for our purposes, what he didn't even know at the outset of these events, what Joseph himself didn't recognize, is he would play a role in fulfilling a key point of prophecy. Isaiah chapter 59, 53 and verse 9, written 700 years before the events of the crucifixion and resurrection, the prophet Isaiah spoke this prophecy about the Christ, the Messiah. He said he was assigned a grave with the wicked. That is to say, he was numbered among crim criminals and the wicked in the eyes of the people, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had spoken nothing deceitfully. That prophecy means that a rich man took care of him at his death, just like we read Joseph of Arimathea just did. It's a prophecy that Joseph himself had no idea he would be the one fulfilling. But it's a prophecy also that links the death to the burial to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of that has to go together. And what we see in Joseph is that he was the right person for God's purpose at the right time. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? That you might be the right person for the right purpose, for God's purpose at the right time. We tend to think of the Christian life this way. We tend to think of the Christian life as compartmentalized. We have secular things we do. We have things we do uh, in our regular life. Then we have church things we do. Uh, we have those Christian things we do. And we kind of keep things th those things separate, unless, of course, in the secular things we do, something goes wrong, then we ask God for help, right? We, we, we go, God, you know, this isn't going so well for me. But in the meantime, what we say generally is, God, I'll let you know if I need you. I'm going to my, live my life, and, and I'll let you know if I need you. And that's really the way most Christians operate. Even we may not admit it or even articulate it, that's typically how we operate. Now, there's another number of Christians who get that these things go together. So they, they pray about their regular life. They pray about their secular life. They pray about their decisions. And that's a good thing. That's what we should be doing. They seek to follow what God wants in their day-by-day -day affairs. That's biblical. That's good. But even more biblical is the way even a smaller number of believers see their lives. The most biblical way, the most godly way to see your life is that it, your life as a believer now serves Christ in every area. You are serving Christ. You, if you are being faithful to Him, every area of your life uh, comes under the umbrella of God's sovereignty, God's guidance, God's grace, God's love. It's all about your faith in Christ. God sees your life from an eternal point of view, and only God knows how now your faithfulness to Christ now will be used for his purposes a year down the road, two years down the road, three years down the road. See, you and I think of it this way. When we come to that turning point in our lives, okay, I'll pray about that. What we don't realize is God knew about that a long time ago. 
you just might be the right person for God's purpose and he's already guiding you there. 700 years before Joseph of Arimathea ever purchased a tomb, God prophesied that he would use that man for his purpose. I want to challenge you this Easter. Make it your desire to be the right person for God's purpose. You may not always know what comes next. You may not always know what what life's going to bring. But if you're faithful to Christ, you can be the right person for God's purpose. And you will get to see God work. The living Savior work through your life because you were faithful to him. Let's go back to the story because I want to break this down a very simple way this morning. I want us to look at three characteristics of the right person for God's purpose. Three characteristics of the right person for God's purpose as we see it in the life of Joseph of Arimathea. First, the right person for God's purpose follows Christ faithfully. Follows Christ faithfully. Uh, We are told of Joseph that he was a righteous man. We're told by Matthew he was a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ, but he was quiet about it. He did it in secret. But he was a righteous man, meaning he was a man of character, and he sought to uh, serve God faithfully in his life. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And as he came to follow Christ, it meant he wanted to honor Christ as well. He wanted to do what was right by God. And then we also learn that he disagreed with the Sanhedrin, his own governing body, When they said they would send Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified, to be executed, he disagreed with that, but he apparently did it quietly. He didn't make a a big rumble about it. He didn't jump up on the the desk or go out on the street corner and hold a banner. He just said, no, I'm not going to consent to that. Uh, Saying that he was righteous also means that he sought to live free of sin in his life. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. Then also Luke tells us that he was looking forward to to the kingdom. He was looking forward to uh, God's kingdom being ushered in through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ. He was looking forward to that. These are elements that tend to tie together people in scripture that God uses. Have you ever noticed that? In fact, we can reflect on another Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew tells us the first thing we learn about Joseph, the father of Jesus, is that he was a righteous man a man of character, a man who sought to be faithful to God. And Joseph of Arimathea now seeks to be faithful to God in Jesus Christ. He believes Christ is the Messiah. So he wants to follow Christ. You may think sometimes that it doesn't make a lot of difference if you're faithful to the Lord now. You want to see big things happen, but the point is being faithful to Christ now is how God prepares you to be the right person for his purpose later. That steady, consistent, regular walk with Christ is what what God's going to use in your life to get you where he wants you to be so he can use you for his purpose later. Secondly, the right person for God's purposes practices faith intentionally. Practices faith intentionally. In his faithful walk with Christ, Joseph of Arimathea simply disagreed, did not consent with that governing body. But then the next thing we read is that he took intentional action based on what was right. He wanted to do the right thing. Now, in the Roman world at that time, the Romans would permit the Jews to take down dead bodies off of the crosses before the Sabbath. They they were sympathetic to the Sabbath. They hated the Jews, but they were sympathetic to the Jews at the Sabbath. So they would permit them to take the criminals down. Usually those criminals, if they were not taken down and buried properly by their family members or by the Jews, would simply be thrown away and discarded 
by the Romans themselves. But notice what you read. Joseph of Arimathea now steps out. He steps out of the quiet. He steps out of the shadows. There's no way for anybody to miss the message. He goes and he requests the body of a particular criminal, Jesus of Nazareth. So far, the Sanhedrin didn't know that he was a follower of Jesus, didn't know he decided to, be, to follow Christ. Now he undertakes what the Romans permit. He does what the Romans say he can do, and he goes and he requests from Pilate the body of one of the three criminals, this one, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, they could take that a few ways. They could take he was just being benevolent. Uh, they could take that he picked him out because he only had room to bury one of, the, one of the criminals from the crosses. They could take it different ways. But it puts Joseph out there, and, and, and there's no way to miss it. It's not another disciple coming to request the body. It's Joseph of Arimathea. This tells us also he had clout with Pilate, and he had clout in the community. Everybody knew who Joseph of Arimathea was. Everybody knew he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And now he steps out of that quiet faith, and he, may, and he practices intentionally his faith by requesting the body of Jesus for burial. If you want to be the right person for God's purpose, Look for the right thing to do and do it. Look for what God wants you to do and do it. You know, to be honest with you, some things you don't actually have to pray about. <laughs> you already know God wants you to do those things because they are the right thing to do. And if you've been following Christ, you're regular in prayer, you're in his word, you're following the living Savior day by day. When he shows you what to do and it's a unique point in your life, do it. That's what God wants you to do. And then last, be the right person for God's purpose. Serve God sacrificially. Serve God sacrificially. He takes the body of Jesus and puts it in his own family tomb. This was an indication of his wealth. Very few people, except the very wealthy, owned a family tomb. It was really a cave carved out of rock outside of the city where decaying bodies wouldn't bother people with the stench. And, uh, and it had shelves inside of it. Where, and those shelves would have been pre-assigned for family members. And we know from the story that Joseph's tomb was, was brand new to the family. He hadn't purchased it long ago because no one was in it. That's part of the prophecy of the Bible, that it was a new tomb and no one was in it, owned by a wealthy man, as Isaiah said. So he took down the body of Jesus... Uh, they, they wrapped it in cloth and they put spices on it so that, again, in the decaying atmosphere of the Middle East, the, the smell wouldn't be quite as strong. And they put it inside the tomb, likely on Joseph's own shelf, which would have been the shelf of the head of the household, the shelf of honor inside the tomb. He laid Jesus' body on what would have been his shelf inside of that tomb. Now, there was a stone in front of the tomb. And the stone was fairly easy to put in front. It would, have, it would have left the tomb open, but it was a rolling large tomb, and it rolled through a ditch, a crevice. And once it was rolled into place, it would have taken men, sometimes several men, to get it out of the way, even using a fulcrum to get that stone out of the way to put another body in. But Joseph doesn't hesitate to seal up the tomb. He rolls the stone in front. Then they would come and they would actually seal it with mud and tar and pitch. That's what Joseph does. This tells us two things about Joseph. Notice this. First, 
he is sacrificing his best for the Lord. And he does it without hesitation. He knows when he took the body down that there would be an indication he's, he's got a concern for Jesus. But here's the second thing. When he puts Jesus' body in his own tomb, there is no doubt. The world will know Joseph of Arimathea is a follower of Jesus Christ. He is one of them. His Sanhedrin friends and colleagues would have turned against him. Many of his family would have turned against him. Everyone would have known that he put the dead body of a criminal in his tomb and was a follower of that criminal on that day. You see the progress he's made as a disciple of Jesus? The progress that put him in the right place as the right person for God's purpose. First, he was quiet about it. He did the right thing. He disagreed when he needed to disagree. But then he went ahead and he stepped out and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took that extra step where there's no question, nothing ambivalent about it. He sacrificed his own tomb and his reputation. And he took the body of Jesus and put Jesus in that tomb. And at that moment, he thought, as everyone else thought, that that was the end of the story. The tomb would be sealed up until Joseph himself died or a, a family member passed away and men would come and they would roll the stone back and, and there would be the burial shroud of Jesus, decayed body by then, and they would put another body in there and roll the, the stone back. That, that's what they thought. And Joseph thought from that moment on he would live his life with the reputation that he had followed Christ, this criminal. He, he's numbered among Peter and John and James and, and all the others that followed Christ, many of whom were being sought by the authorities by this time. That, that's what he thought, and that's what everyone else thought. But because he was faithful, he was the right person for God's purpose. And here comes Sunday. In order for Jesus to rise from the grave, he has to have a grave. And Joseph of Arimathea was used of God in God's providence and design to provide the tomb that Christ would leave empty. He would rise from the grave because Joseph provided the grave. And he did so because he was a faithful follower of Christ. Now for the rest of his life, he would not be that guy that put a criminal inside the tomb. He would be the guy that people would come to and say, now explain this to me. How is your tomb empty? What happened to the body of Jesus? He would be the one that other Christians would tell the story about. He was faithful. He was bold. He was courageous enough to go to Pilate to be faithful to Christ and ask for the body and to put that body in his own tomb, treating Jesus like a king instead of a poor carpenter. Christians would say, go look at Joseph's tomb. It's empty. It's empty. If you wonder about it, he's still in Arimathea. Just go ask him. Get him to tell you the story. He got to participate in the greatest work of God in human history because he was faithful from the beginning. I'm sure, I feel confident he never prayed and asked God, please use my tomb. But when he saw the right thing to do and knew that's what God wanted, he saw that he was the right person for God's purpose. And he got to participate in God's greatest work. I, it's not in the Bible. 
It's not in the Bible, but if I can use, uh, I'll just call it a sanctified imagination. You kind of have to wonder if after the resurrection, Jesus didn't go visit Joseph of Arimathea just so he could say, you can have your tomb back. I don't need it anymore. <laughs> and thank you for being faithful in the meantime. About 2,400 years ago, the first emperor of China arose. Ying Jun was his name. He was a young man when he came to power, but he gained a quick reputation of being a ruthless marauder. He built a massive empire and, and had a massive army. And along the way of his life, Ying uh, had a, a brush with death, and it terrified him. So he spent most of his adult life trying to cheat death. Uh, he sought potions and antidotes for death. And, and many scholars believe that ultimately he died from his own poison. He died at the age of 49. And many think he simply ended up poisoning himself. History recorded that Ying Jun put him, he built, a, built a tomb for himself, a, a massive grave, put himself in that tomb. And the legend was that he was so afraid of death and mortality, that he actually included an army with him in that tomb. But no one knew where the tomb was, and for generations and generations it went undiscovered. Then in 1974, a farmer was out digging a well, and he hit something clay. And he dug it up a little bit deeper, and he found that there was a clay soldier underground, so he called the authorities in. The authorities brought scholars and archaeologists in, and they started digging, and they had discovered the tomb, the grave of the first emperor of China, Ying Jun. And the more they excavated, the, more, the larger they found it to be. And now they know it covers acres and acres. Inside of his tomb, he had his soldiers built from clay with real weapons. Thousands and thousands and thousands of entrymen and cavalry with horses are built and, and put inside that tomb. Uh, scholars are still digging. They're still finding more and more. For this one emperor, so terrified of death, that he didn't want to arrive on the other side without an army, he had thousands of clay soldiers built and buried with him, with real weapons, so they could take care of him when he arrived on the other side. His grave, his tomb, is a monument to the fear of death. The tomb of Joseph of Arimathea is a monument to the celebration of life. Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And one man got to participate in the greatest event in history simply because he was faithful to Christ. Let me ask you a question this Easter. You want to be the right person for God's purposes. If you and I believe Jesus Christ is alive, then we believe he is leading us into the future. We believe he is working in our lives. We believe he is taking care of us, guiding us. We believe our, our lives can be a monument to the great work of God, and our lives can be a celebration of life in Christ. Do you want to be the right person for God's purposes? Would you rededicate your life to Christ this Easter? And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust him as your Savior today, here or at home? Would you say yes to Jesus Christ, acknowledging you're a sinner, he died on the cross for you, and you believe that he's alive today? I want to pray with you this morning. Believers, I'm going to pray for us here 
and at home. I'm going to pray for us that today when we leave this place, our desire will be to be faithful to Christ so he can lead us to be the right person for his purpose when that time comes. So you get to see him work in your life in a brand new way this year. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, maybe you're in the room, maybe you're at home, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. A prayer that acknowledges you're a sinner in need of a Savior and asks by faith Christ to come into your life that you trust Him today to forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. He can do that. You know why? Because He's alive. And He's alive today. And if you've never trusted Christ in just a moment, I want to pray that prayer with you. And I, I hope you'll pray with me in faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we praise you this Easter. Let our lives be a monument to the celebration of life in Jesus Christ. God, forgive us where we have compartmentalized our lives. God, forgive us where we've neglected that we walk with Christ every day. The living Savior is with us every day. And Father, I pray for each believer in this room and at home that our desire, our commitment today will be a fresh commitment to be the right person for your purpose. That you would use us day by day, that we would celebrate life in Christ by seeing you work in our lives and being available to you. God, forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us, God, of selfishness and pride. Use us, God, for your great work in these days ahead. And Father, I pray for those in this room and at home, God, that need Jesus as their Savior. Soften their hearts right now, God. And I pray with them this simple prayer. So many have prayed this prayer of faith to trust Jesus today, God, and I pray for that one in here or at home. If that's their desire, that's their uh, their desire is to put their faith and trust in Christ today, to confess Him as their Lord and Savior, they would pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am. And I know that I can't save myself. I confess to you, God. I've turned my back on you. I've been disobedient. But today, God, I, I know Jesus has died on the cross for me. I believe in Christ. And I believe that he is alive today. So by faith I ask, please come into my heart and into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. And from this day forward, I will follow Christ. Father, I pray for those in this room and at home that prayed these prayers. God, let this be a turning point for us on this Easter Sunday. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.